So we are in John chapter 4, this encounter between the Lord Jesus and this adulteress uh, who was really uh, pariah even in uh, the midst of her own people who were a group that were despised, the Samaritans. The Jews didn't have anything to do with them. Interesting that straight after meeting with a man at the top, Nicodemus, the religious teacher of the Jews, the greatest teacher, Jesus now goes down to the very bottom and meets somebody who is the dregs of society. No one is too great to be above salvation. No one is too uh, far down for Jesus Christ to save. We're probably somewhere in between those two. And we are looking, uh, we're going to spend some weeks at the well of Samaria. And with it being summer now, it's not a bad place to be. And we've uh, started looking at the journey of Jesus Christ, not just to the well at Sichar, but to the heart of this needy woman. And the reason we're doing this is that Jesus would come into your heart and into my heart. Has Jesus Christ come by his grace? Not just into your head, but into your heart. And we've looked at two points already. We've got another two to finish off the message with this morning. And they all start with C. So that will make it easy for you to remember. The first is Jesus' concern for this one sinner. He was going to Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Uh, the Jews bypassed Samaria. But Jesus must go through Samaria because his heart is going out towards this one lost sheep. Even if only one person had sinned, Jesus Christ would still have come all the way, not just from Jerusalem where he was traveling on this occasion, but he would come all the way from heaven down to earth to go after that one lost sheep. Such is the concern. It doesn't matter that he's weary. He's not too tired to save one lost soul. And then Jesus crossing every barrier. There were big obstacles in the way of this woman. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She was an adulteress. It didn't matter. Whatever the obstacles may be in your life, it won't stop Jesus Christ from coming. Uh, we ended last Sunday morning with the great hymn, Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken Every barrier, every barrier down. Now let's go on to look at this journey of Jesus Christ into the heart of this woman. The third point is he now connects. I don't like the word, right? But at least it starts with C. He connects with her. Here he is at the well making contact with her. And what does he do? Let's read the verses again. 
a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. That's what he says, to connect with her. If you're a Christian here this morning, you may say to me, Pastor, I don't know how to evangelize. How can I connect with people? Jesus is a real man. As a result, he suffers from all the things apart from sin that we suffer from. And he's thirsty. Do you know what it's like to be thirsty? Of course you do. And so he makes a simple, natural request for this woman who has whatever implements they would have used to draw water with, who has something that he hasn't got, and he asks her for a drink. This is what Spurgeon said. There's nothing starched or stiff about the Saviour. He was the very reverse of the religious leaders of his day. And even children felt that they might go to him freely. I love that about Jesus Christ. There's nothing doer. You know, I'm thinking back to my chapel upbringing and the big seats we had. Thankfully, we haven't got a big seat anymore here. It's been removed, and it's not coming back. And in that big seat uh, sat the Blaenoriaid. Uh, these were the equivalents of our elders and, I guess, deacons. And they were not in that position because they were saved or godly men. They were there because they were the great and the good in society. And they'd be sitting there in their black or grey suits and white shirts and dark ties. And it was like a funeral. As a little boy, looking at them, I was scared of them. They, they, they were so stiff, starched. That's not Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't be us if we are Christians. Uh, this woman is amazed that he, being a Jew and a man at that, should ask of her a uh, request. The Jews wouldn't even talk to the Samaritans. And so you see how Jesus, breaking this barrier down, asks for something very simple. And every one of us can ask somebody for a drink. Now, I'm amazed here at the condescension of Jesus Christ the religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, it would be beneath them to do something like that. Th th this is the paradox, my friends. Uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought themselves good, but Jesus says, you are really far from the kingdom. And Jesus Christ, who is the only good man to have ever lived, the only perfect human being, a man there is, a real man, but at the same time, he is spotless. And the perfect man who could have ignored every one of us, especially this woman, he's the most approachable of all. Isn't that a wonderful paradox? Religion drives people away. Jesus Christ 
acts like a magnet for those who have a sense of their sin. Is he drawing you this morning? Jesus Christ didn't start by rebuking this woman for her adultery. He did, but he didn't start with that. If you go to some Christians or go to some churches, you're being got at, aren't you? Now, the Word is going to warn us. Uh, I was doing that last Sunday morning. But notice, Jesus Christ didn't start pointing the finger at this woman. He could have done that, but he didn't. Neither did he start by announcing that he's the Messiah. He's coming to that. And again, you, you can listen to some Christians, and may I not be guilty of this, and they're just so above the people. No, Jesus Christ starts with the smallest of talks. Can you please give me a drink? And he moves on from small talk to big talk. Big talk. Don't you want to have big talk? That's what I, as a minister, am here for, to do big talk. And if you are seeking this morning, uh, you don't want small talk, do you? you? You can get that in the world. You, in your heart of heart, want big talk. How can I be forgiven? How can I know when I die that I'm going to heaven and not hell? How can I be satisfied, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, but in my deepest of places? Big talk. But Jesus Christ doesn't start with a big talk. He starts with very small talk. And then he goes on to the big talk. Look at what Jesus Christ is doing in expressing his thirst. He's showing his need. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, isn't coming across as invincible. Yes, he is 100% God as well as 100% man, but he's not allowing his divinity to override his manhood here. He's showing his weakness here. In saying, I thirst, he says, I need you to help me. I believe we have a tendency not to want to show weakness. Jesus Christ wasn't like that. Jesus Christ was tired here. He says uh, he's tired. Jesus Christ on another occasion wept. You don't need to apologize for weeping if you're a Christian. Our Savior wept at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus Christ here is thirsty and he doesn't feel bad about expressing that need. Are you invincible, Christian? A lot of people are put off Christianity because they see us believers as somehow having this facade <laughs> of invincibility. We're just like you, like our Savior was, although he didn't have any sin. We feel, we hunger, we thirst, we bleed, we break. Because we have a Savior who is like that. He feels for your sorrows. Praise God. Not only does the Father know our frame and remember that we are dust, but the Son whom he sent 
because he became a man, can be touched. Aren't you glad of that? With the feeling of our infirmities. Aren't you glad that the Savior we've got is not a Savior who bypassed the Samarias of this world? May we not be a people who bypass this world. We are in the world. We're not of the world. But we are in the world. We are not a holy huddle here. I don't want us to go in on ourselves. We've got a Savior to offer to the world. And we want to go out to the highways and the byways, to the Queen Streets, as well as the Whitchurch Roads. J.C. Ryle again. <laughs> Simple as this request may seem, it opened a door to spiritual conversation. It threw a bridge across the gulf which lay between her and him. It led to the conversion of us. Soul. So let's start with this. Jesus connecting. Whoever you are here this morning, we can connect with you because we know what it's like to live in a fallen world like this. We're not invincible. We are sinners. We're saved sinners, but we're still sinners. And may those who are Christians here, may I, may you never give the impression that we are somehow above uh, the real world. Uh, I'm reminded of a couple. You see, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, knew that he was going to Samaria to have this appointment with this woman. We don't have omniscience. Believe it or not, not even pastors are omniscient. We, we need to be told when people are ill. We do not have omniscience. We don't know everything. But Jesus did. But God can still give us a divine appointment, can't he? And I'm reminded of a young couple, a young Christian couple. They were moving to an area and they were praying that God would give them uh, an opportunity to speak of Jesus Christ. And they were probably thinking that their neighbours uh, would uh, go through a problem or they might be able to meet with them and then they would be able to show and speak of the love of Jesus Christ. But God didn't work like that. Just as Jesus Christ here had a need, his own need, and he started with that to open the door, to bring in the gospel. So this couple had a tragedy uh, a baby was born to them and there were difficulties and they went through a terrible ordeal. And then their neighbours one day knocked on the door and wanted to talk to them and wanted to ask them, how did you get through that ordeal? We've noticed you've got something that we haven't got. It was their need not the needs of their neighbours, but the problem they were going through that gave the opportunity. So the connecting, every one of us can connect because we can start with the most natural of things. You know, I can say this, I hope Rhonda, you don't mind, Jeremy, he could connect with people in a most natural way. 
I said in his funeral how we went one time to eat in a South Indian restaurant. Uh, some Christians wouldn't go and eat there because it's halal. I don't think that would have been a barrier to Jesus Christ. And we were in this restaurant and Mr. Panaswamy, a Hindu, was showing Jeremy all of his idols behind the till. Just having a natural conversation, as one does, about one's idols. <laughs> and then Jeremy listened. And then Jeremy said, let me now tell you, Mr. Panaswamy, about the true and the living God. A door of opportunity. Now, let's hurry on. We've got communion. The fourth and final points. Not only does Jesus connect with this woman, but finally, and this is what we're going to be looking at in more detail, but just thinking of the journey that Jesus takes into the heart of this woman, he communicates the gospel. We build bridges, not just to show people that we are like them in many ways because we're human, but the whole point of building a bridge is to bring the gospel. The whole point of building a bridge is so that Jesus Christ himself can come by the Spirit into not just the minds, but the hearts of the people that we are witnessing to. So what does Jesus say? The woman says, I don't know how you being a Jew can ask of me, uh, a Samaritan. Uh, you, you don't understand. <laughs> it's... Uh, not the done thing. And then what does Jesus say? Here he is communicating the gospel. Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Two things. What's the gospel? Can you communicate the gospel in a sentence? If you're not a Christian, can you say what this church believes in? What, in a nutshell, is the good news about Jesus Christ? This is what Jesus is doing here in one sentence, more or less. He uses water here. With Nicodemus, he used birth. So many different metaphors to illustrate the same thing. What is the gospel? Two things. It's a gift. This is what makes Christianity unique from every other religion on the face of the earth, including nominal Christianity. Every other religion is about man, mankind, humankind, striving after God, trying to gain brownie points with a God or with an ideology. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the reverse of that. It's the gift of God. It's about God coming to seek and to save that which was lost. We can't share the same platform as other religions because we're completely different to them. Do you know the gift of God? I'm not asking you if you are religious. I'm not asking you how often you come to church. I'm not asking you how faithful you are. I'm not asking you how much you give. I'm not asking you how much theology you know. I'm not asking you about how active you are in the church. I'm asking you, do you know the gift of God? 
That's what a Christian is. In Sandfields, when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a minister there at the beginning of the 20th century, they had a little revival there. And they had a fellowship meeting where people could ask any questions they wanted. And Dr. Martin asked the question to the people, what is a Christian? And an elderly lady with no theological training got up on her feet and answered straight away, a person who's thanked Jesus Christ for dying for their sins. Excellent. This gift. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. Have you realized this gift? But Jesus develops it here. He uses water. Water as a metaphor for what he does. What does water do? After trying to sort my puncture out, do you know what I needed? I needed water to wash my hands. I, I hope the tube wasn't dirty this morning because I got my suit on. Water. I, I hope I don't have to use water to wash my hands here. It cleanses. This, this is what the gospel does. We can't cleanse our own hearts. Have you tried? It's like rubbing a stain into the fabric. The more you try to remove it, the more ingrained it gets. The more we try to deal with our sin, the more we get dragged down. You see, this is what the great evangelist George Whitfield found in the 18th century. He was a student in Oxford, and he wanted to be forgiven and be made right with God. So he started washing his own sin away, and he became very religious. He formed the Holy Club, and they did all sorts of things. They went to extremes, but Whitfield found that the more he tried in his own strength to deal with sin, the more impossible it became. And then one night... Somewhere on Addison's Walk in Oxford, he just realized he couldn't do it. God needed to fix him. Cleansing. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the just, dying for the unjust, you and me, that he might bring us to God. Isn't there an illustration of the gospel even in the request he's making of the Samaritan woman? The Samaritans were a plague by the Jews. They were unclean, ceremonially unclean. So the vessel that she's using to draw water would have been unclean. The water would have been unclean. What is Jesus Christ doing? Not the religious leader now who would uh, avoid them as the plague, but the spotless Messiah is coming and he's asking this woman to give him water, not just because he's physically thirsty, but I think as an illustration of the gospel, the spotless Son of God is going to take the unclean vessel of water and what he's going to do with it. He's not just going to pour it over him. He's going to drink it. He's going to take it upon himself. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't turn into a sinner, but he took the punishment for our sins. He paid the debts so that we could go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood. Cleansing. There is cleansing in the blood of the Lamb. Your sin will be wiped clean and you will have a new start. Praise God. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. No one is too bad. And then what else does water do? Well, water uh, gives life, doesn't it? It gives life. 
I um, have got plants, and I've realized now that you've got to water plants. <laughs> I know it sounds obvious, but a, a few years ago, during the heat wave, my plants just wilted and died because they did not get any water, because I didn't water them. I'd even bought, is it hebes, hebes or jeebes? He, hebes, because they're, they're, they're very hardy. They still need water if it's a heat wave. So the gift of God isn't just forgiveness for our sins. It's the life of God coming into our souls. The book by Henry Scougal that Whitfield picked up. The life of God in the soul of man. That's a Christian. And this is what Jesus Christ is talking about here. What a wonderful change that has happened to me since Jesus came into my heart. So not only is our sin washed away as to its guilt, there is new power. There is the power of Christ in me. The double cure of Augustus Top Lady. Do you know that? There is power in the blood to overcome sin. And then what else uh, is true of this gift? The, you know, we have financial needs. Uh, so anything that's being offered for free is good, isn't it? What, what can we offer for free? If any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. Jesus Christ can give you the gift of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> wisdom is knowing what is right at the right time, in the right way, for the right ends. Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. The spirit of life is the spirit of wisdom. What else is this gift? This gift is the gift of eternal life. Uh, Jesus later goes on to talk about a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. We'll look at that next time I'm preaching. But this... Oh, inheritance. Have you got an inheritance? Ah, yes, you'll say, I've got a wealthy uncle who is going to leave an inheritance behind for me. Well, you may not have that, but you have another inheritance if you're a Christian. You've got an inheritance uncorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You've got a mansion in glory. So the gift, I haven't got time to go through all these things, but this gift is wonderful. And then the second thing that's uh, in the definition of the gospel is the giver. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you. Now, if I stood in this pulpit in my own name or even in the name of Heath Church and offered you the things I've just mentioned, if I offered you in the name of Heath Church cleansing from all sin, if I offered you in the name of Heath Church new life in your heart, if I offered you in the na name of Heath Church the wisdom of God, and if I offered you in our church's name eternal life, you'd think me crazy, I hope. I really do hope. Otherwise, we'd be a cult, wouldn't we? You would sack me, I hope. But I'm not offering these things in my own name. When Alistair was standing at the front this morning, he was telling us in the vestry what an awesome thing it is just to read a verse of Scripture because that's the Word of God. Alistair wasn't standing in his own name. We're in the name of Jesus Christ meeting here this morning. So it's God who says, I can offer you these things. Have you heard of Robert Maxwell? Uh, those of you who are older, he was a crook, wasn't he? 
one of the greatest press barons in the world, but he was a crook. And do you know what he used to say to people? I give you my word. Well, so many people were taken in by him. <laughs> I give you my word. You know, he had a big penthouse in the city of London, and they had really impressive Byzantine pillars. And one day, somebody was visiting, and they were really impressed with these Byzantine pillars, and they just knocked, knocked them, and they were hollow. Hollow promises, hollow men. Jesus Christ isn't hollow. Jesus Christ is the truth. God is a God who cannot lie. So I'm not saying this morning, in my name, or in the name of Heath, or in the name of evangelicalism, that this is the case. It's Jesus Christ who's saying. You can believe him. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Uh, Mr. Panaswamy, as a Hindu, would have many idols, and Jesus Christ would be one of them. You see, that, that's what happens in India when you ask people who are Hindus, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They'll nod their heads and say, of course we do, among all the other gods. But what, what, was, wasn't it encouraging in the king's coronation have a Hindu, our prime minister, Rishi Sunak? That's what Hindus believe. Many gods, including Jesus Christ. Was it... Did, I think God has a sense of humor. Because he read these words. Did you hear him? Who? Who is Jesus Christ? He's the image of the invisible God. It's not pantheism. It's not God in everything. The firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Wow. I wonder if anybody was saved hearing a Hindu read those words. God can do that. Jesus Christ, as we've seen, is a man, a man there is, showing his needs, but he's God, the God-man. Let me close. What's stopping you? What is Jesus Christ saying to this woman? If you only knew the gift of God and who it is who is talking to you, you would have asked him, for a drink of this spiritual water. What's stopping you? You will say to me, but Pastor, I don't understand. I haven't got a knowledge of the Bible. That doesn't matter. You understand enough to realize that you need Jesus Christ to be saved. You may say, but Pastor, I look at Christians and they're just hypocrites. We may well be sometimes. I'm sorry. But don't look at us. Look at our Savior. Look at Jesus Christ. You may say, but Christianity is on the wane. It is in the West, but it's not in other parts of the world. But even if we are in the minority, truth stands on its own. Athanasius said, Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the whole world. One with God is a majority. So this is the truth speaking and what I love about Jesus Christ is he's gentle, approachable, showing his weakness, and at the same time he is able 
I love that combination. And one hymnist, and I'll close with this, invites us, and may this speak to your hearts. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Pity on its own is no good. Power on its own is no good. But they're joined together. He is willing. He is able. Doubts no more. I've forgotten to mention one thing. I'm not trying to impress with my knowledge of Greek. It's the commentators that tell us this. But in the four gospel, this is the only time that the word for gift has in the original Greek uh, the sense of free gift, doreo. Now, you would expect that if a gift is given to you, it's been given for free. Well, it's not always the case, is it? There are sometimes strings attached. But John is going out of his way to emphasize, maybe because it's a Samaritan adulteress that is being addressed, that this gift is absolutely free. Amazing. What's stopping you? If Jesus Christ is offering water to cleanse, to bring us alive, to give us eternal life without money, and he's inviting you, and you're not going to gate crash. You're not going to gate crash because he's inviting you in his authority. And if he's the one who cannot lie, What's stopping? What's stopping you? What a privilege to be in a gospel church. Isn't it a privilege to be able to offer, not just here this morning, but to people all around us, this wonderful gift? May God help us to do that, to connect, to communicate, to communicate as clearly as we can. And may you, if you've never, ever, accepted this gift may you for the first time taste and see that the lord is gracious there's no water like this uh, next time i'm here uh, we'll look at this whole metaphor of water holy water in the right sense of the word for his namesake uh, let's uh, close this part of the service we should have the organ for this but we'll have to make do and I'm sure Brian will uh, do an excellent job. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. It's number 
is finished. Sinner, will not this suffice? Father, what more do we need? Uh, thou hast promised uh, to forgive those who come to thy Son without money and without price. Not a cheap forgiveness, because it cost him so much, Father, as we're about to remember. O oh Lord, just draw near to us. And now, as we come to this thy table, in Jesus' name, amen.